Jen Clore has been an acclaimed singer-songwriter in the Australian music scene since 2005. In 2012, she started Milk Records with her partner, Courtney Barnett, and has since also risen to the top of the excellent indie label scene in Melbourne. Welcome to the future of what? I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the indie record label, Kill Rockstars. Support for the future of what comes from Merch Table. With over 15 years of experience in merchandising, screen printing, tour support, and online fulfillment, Merch Table partners with artists and labels looking to jumpstart their business. Visit merchtable.com to learn more and open a store today. On today's episode, I interview Jen Clower about her music and her label. It's all coming up on The Future of What. Support for the future of what comes from Sound Exchange. You're listening to the future of what. I'm talking to Jen Clower. Jen, welcome to the future of what. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's so nice <laughs> to see your face. I like yeah. it. Yay. Uh, yeah, last time I saw you, we were in Australia. That's right. It would have been a few years ago now. A couple, uh, couple summers three, ago. Yeah, three years ago, I reckon. Yeah, yeah, two summers ago. And I just went back a couple weeks ago. Mm. And I was there for the Air Awards both years. Yeah. And actually, this year, you were the big winner at the Air Awards. I was. Yeah. But I wasn't there. I it know. It was just a hologram version of me appeared on the screen. <laughs> but you know what I loved about the hologram version was that you were in what I assume was Milk's Warehouse. Yes. And I was like, oh, that looks so familiar. <laughs> it's yeah. like the ultimate indie label warehouse. It just was. Just full of boxes. Yeah, that's it. And the great thing is they're now in a warehouse and not in our house. Yes. So that, yes. That's a big moment when you move your... Well, it was like a bedroom label that moved into a house that moved into a warehouse. Nice. And how long ago did you move to the warehouse? That would have happened about a year ago now. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you guys are still freshly in the warehouse. That's very it's, exciting. It's fresh and exciting stuff. Yeah. yeah. So you started the label in 2012? That's right. Yeah. Excellent. Mm. Tell me about that because you've been an artist for quite a while. You've yeah. been a musician for quite a while. Yeah. What inspired you to start a label? Sure. Well, I wasn't actually inspired to start a label. I didn't <laughs> see why you'd want to do all of that extra work when you could get someone else to do it. And I'd released my first two albums on local independent labels, one in Melbourne and one in Sydney. And it was actually Courtney who seemed to have this idea that it would be a really great thing to have a label. And I said, well, why don't you go and do a business? There's like this this business course that's offered through the Australian government. And it's kind of like a grant that you get. It's about $11,000 paid out over a year once you've done the course. So it sort of pays your rent. Yeah. And I'd done this course uh, to start a series of workshops called I Manage My Music, which is still running to this day, sort of seven years later. I guess helping artists or creating a forum for artists to come together and talk about releasing DIY. Right. So Courtney went along and did the course and then started Milk Records, drew a logo, got a Bandcamp <laughs> store, asked a few mates if they wanted to put out their EP or whatnot. And um, it was literally just people in her immediate community. Got a Facebook page and then put out her first EP through the label. And what I saw was that people started to buy her music. And I thought, this could be a good idea. Like, mm. rather than giving 
50% licensing my album, 50%, you know, licensing deal to an independent label, maybe I could run it through milk. Right, right. And so that's kind of where it all originated. Yeah. So this is your partner, Courtney Barnett, that we're talking about. That's right, yeah. And were you guys already dating when this all went down? Yeah, we were. Like, we would have been together for about, I don't know, within the first year of being in an intimate relationship. And then, yeah, Courtney started the label literally just to put out her first EP, which was called I've Got a Friend Called Emily Ferris, which became, I think, a release in the States called A Sea of Split Peas. So Mm. they put the two EPs together. Gotcha. And it went out, you know, as a kind of full release, you know, in America. So you you got drawn into, you did not desire to start a label, you sort of got drawn into. Well, the interesting thing was even though I couldn't see why you would do it, at the same time I was running these workshops and they'd been going for a good year. And what I was discovering was that we were really in a time where you could put out your own music if you wanted to Mm -hmm. and, you know, hire your own publicist, find your own distributor and project manage the release yourself. And so I decided to put my third album out through Milk Records and just see how it went, you Mm -hmm. know. I did a crowdfunding campaign to get the money together to pay for some of the things that would need to happen with the release. And I, you know, I had a really good sort of PR team. So I sort of had most of what you would hire an indie label to do for you. But I was just paying for it up front. Mm-hmm. So right. rather than having those things advanced through, I was, you know, covering the cost. Right. Now, you did pretty well with that third record, right? I mean, in Australia, I think it did. Yeah. I mean, it, it, was the it interesting claimed? thing was it didn't do any worse than, than the last. <laughs> I mean, right. than the last album anyway. I think right. the first album definitely, because it was my first record and it was nominated for an ARIA, which is kind of the Australian version of a Grammy. And it really built sort of a profile for me. You know, I think perhaps it wasn't as big a breakthrough as my first record, but it certainly, in my opinion, did better than the second album. Nice. And, yeah, it was, like, nominated for... I mean, it was, yeah, nominated for the Australian Music Prize, which I guess is kind of like the Mercury Awards Mm. in Mm -hmm. the UK. And I think it kind of attracted a whole new listenership because it was kind of out through Milk Records. Courtney's career was starting to kind of slowly build and exciting things were happening for her. And I think that's kind of around the time when I saw this potential. I was like, ah, okay. Basically, having a successful artist is free marketing and promotion. (laughs) And if I use this time while she's... while the world's starting to look at this artist to shed light on our music community mm-hmm. and myself, obviously. Right. Then we don't have to spend tens of thousands of dollars trying to shout across the world, look at Milk Records. People were looking anyway. Right. And Courtney was totally down with that. Like she could see the value of, you know, using her success and profile to start pointing to other artists and bands in our community that we thought were really talented. Right. And having just been in Melbourne, and possibly this is just my experience because I'm coming at it from an indie label perspective, but it really seems like the indie label scene in Melbourne is very tight-knit and everyone seems very just, it seems like there's a lot of access, which is kind of amazing. Yeah. I felt I felt like a lot of camaraderie mm. and also a lot of opportunity. You know, like you can go and, and be on Double J Radio mm. and, and stuff. You know, you can have songs played by actual DJs and... Mm-hmm. and be on actual shows. 
in a way that's really different in the US. Yeah, right. I mean, I've kind of heard that it's quite difficult to kind of get airplay in the States. Maybe in Australia or certainly in Melbourne, there's a really strong community radio presence. So we have, you know, Triple R, PBS. I mean, they're kind of the main ones. There's a few others, but I think those two really have been a big reason why Melbourne music is so healthy, Mm -hmm. is that there's actually someone who's going to play it Mm -hmm. to an audience who's going to hear it, who are then going to come and see you play. Right. And without that, you know, there's really not a lot. Right. It's really just word of mouth from, from gig goers. So there's a whole lot of things that I think make Melbourne a really healthy, thriving music centre. There's the labels that you mentioned. Some of them have been around for a long time. You know, Chapter Music is pretty legendary. What's another one that's kind of been around putting music out in Melbourne for ages? I mean, you know, there's labels like Bedroom Sark and Our Golden Friend and Hysterical Records and Bad Apples Music. I mean, there's just tons of indie labels, some of them pretty new to the game, some have been around for a while. Plus all of these community radio DJs and broadcasters who are willing to play this music mm-hmm. and are kind you know, kind of see it as their badge of honour that they're breaking new music from Melbourne's underground. And then, you know, I guess alongside of that you have loads of venues mm-hmm. and like really great sort of punk rock indie venues. There's none of this lockout licensing rubbish that's happened in Sydney and pretty much killed mm. the live music scene there. So the whole ecosystem is really healthy. And that's why, in my opinion, and I'm sure many people's opinion, Melbourne is one of the most exciting cities in the world right now for music, mm-hmm. in my opinion, as far as like creating excellence across the board. Mm-hmm. So pretty much any genre of music, I feel like there's a strong representation, but probably, you know, the biggest genre would be indie rock, mm-hmm. kind of indie pop. There's a really healthy punk scene there at the moment, really interesting, you know, great politics, really, you know, gender fluid, cool, young folk that are coming up who are very thoughtful, very proactive. Social activism is a massive part of what they're about. I guess kind of maybe hailing back to an era that you were seeing sort of coming up with Kill Rock Stars, I guess, in the 90s and stuff, like Mm -hmm. a very similar kind of return to music not being about commerce but really being about a force for social change. Absolutely. Yeah, That's I felt that way when I was there. I'm just interested, what do the major labels feel like in Australia? Because here in America, you know, there's still this kind of brass ring aspect, you know, Mm -hmm. where people are like, oh, I'm thrilled to be on an independent label, but... You know, if the if a major came along and offered me a million dollars or ten million dollars or something, and I think it has to do with access, and I think it has to do, and I'm just talking about normal people. I'm not talking about like punks or people who sort of sure. understand the scene. I I'm talking about just like regular people on the street. Yeah, I think those people think a real record deal is with a major sure. and a real band gets played on commercial radio. Mm. They don't understand that, you know, independent artists pretty much have no access to yeah. commercial radio in this country at all. Yeah. And it's just like a whole different world. So mm. how does that feel in Australia? Because I know the majors are a presence there. Mm. They exist. Yeah, look, I guess if you're looking at like 
mega commercial pop, I would imagine they would go through a major. But if you were looking at a kind of like, you know, what's a really good example of a kind of seen as indie American rock band that's doing really well, that wouldn't necessarily be seen as mainstream that might be on a major. What about Camp Cope, right? So like what if suddenly their manager got a call from Sony or something? Is that something that they would... Well, the thing with Camp Cope is that they are probably the leaders of feminist politics in Australia right now. So there's no way they would sign to Sony. (laughs) But there are definitely, you know, like that kind of like blokes playing rock music or hip hop or whatever who would probably still sign to a major... I think perhaps they're a little naive because I, I think that the issue is like you don't have to in Australia. Right. It's not America. That's what I There's was There's only 25 million at. people there. So yeah. to sign to a major I think is like just not understanding business. Right. Because in Australia you can keep it small and keep it all. Yeah. You know, you don't have to be going out through a major to be really successful there. Exactly. And in a way, you know, you look at I think like John Butler – I think he's kind of known in parts here, maybe more in the sort of folk festival circuit, but he was kind of the beginning of, I think, that idea of someone who would normally have been on a major label deciding to put out this record. It would have been about 10 or 12 years ago he released this record and sold 500,000, I think now a million copies, but he put it out on his own label and basically was making, you know, people still sold CDs and he was making like $12 per, <laughs> per CD. Right. So, the, so he made this huge profit doing it independently. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a real game changer on the Australian music landscape where people went, oh, it's such a small country, you can do this yourself and keep the money and not be handing it over to a major label who aren't really going to be able to do much more for you anyway. Mm, interesting, interesting, because there's no, like here we have the major labels hold the key to commercial radio. Mm. You can't be on commercial radio without being on a major unless you are in a very specific situation like Big Machine, which is one of the biggest indie labels mm. in America, is Taylor Swift's label. Mm. I'm pretty sure they have some sort of situation where they've gotten her on commercial radio because I've heard her on commercial radio. Yeah. <laughs> so clearly... You know, it depends on your the size of your label and just depends on, you know, who you are employing and how much money you've got to spend. Sure. But, you know, for the average independent label, even mm. one like mine that's been around a long time, mm. we certainly have no access yeah. at all. Yeah. And I think in a way we're just looking at, I mean, in Australia anyway, two very different worlds. Mm-hmm. So, you know, someone who might be releasing a record on a major who were making like big mainstream pop then that's a perfect match because that's where that music would be played and traditionally major labels have those relationships with commercial radio Mm -hmm. and they kind of go hand in hand. So I can really only speak to my world, but I think that there are plenty of really famous independent musicians, Courtney included, who wouldn't need to go through a major label in Australia to do well out of it. Right, absolutely. Mm. So, you know, you started the label, you guys started the label, you put out a couple things, Mm. and then you are now officially the label manager, Mm. right? So what do you do? Do you do A&R? Are you finding bands? Not so much. I mean, there's never been any sort of active search or incentive to get out and see the latest cool young new band. 
it's really been a very organic process of music coming to us through friends who might play in the band. We really consider who comes onto the label. Like they really need to have a way of thinking about music and an approach where they don't expect everything to be done for them or are waiting to get famous or like there's not all of these like you better work my record real hard or I'm moving on or you know, that kind of stuff just I couldn't work with someone like that. That's not to say that there's any problem with being like that. It's just that milk wouldn't be the natural fit for you. I think there's a problem with being like that, personally. <laughs> I just, you know, like, I think sometimes, though, like, you know, you can come to a label with expectations. Sure. And I have no problem with that. But I would just, I'm very upfront, like, this is what we do. This is what we don't do. If you don't like it, go somewhere else. Like, if I, we get to that point where we're interested in working with someone. And what we're starting to see now is really quality artists starting to approach us and I think Mm. that took a little bit of time because they want to see that there's a consistent oh yeah okay the releases are really good I'm hearing about them I'm hearing these songs you know on the radio these artists are starting to tour overseas I think those are all of the kind of things that serious artists that you would hope would want to come and be on your label need to see before they make that commitment to you And we just started working with an artist called Tiny Ruins who definitely has a following around the world, isn't huge, but can go over and tour the UK and Europe and sell out their shows. And I think is like very highly regarded within the music industry, like amongst songwriters. I know Sharon Van Etten's a huge fan and Aldous Harding and, you know, the Dirty Three, that crew really love what she's doing. And I am also a big fan. So when she kind of turned up this year and was like, hey, would you guys consider maybe putting my record out? I was like, yes. You know, like that moment where you go, yes, these are the sorts of artists I want to work with. This is the kind of legacy I'd love to see Milk continue to have. And it's great to have lots of local up-and-coming artists of quality, and we have plenty of those. And I love working with them. But anyone who's run a label knows that it's – at best, a break-even proposition. And I think it's really, I said to Court, you know, it's really important that it's just not you and I that are having a bigger international career. Like, we do need some other artists who are out there championing milk around the world as well for the label to continue to prosper so that we can release more music. That's really only ever been the premise behind it. It's just so we can keep doing it. Right. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, every label, I would say every indie label, you know, the first success you have, you take that money and you just put it right back into the label. Absolutely. And that's how you keep going. Yeah. And I think, you know, that no matter how successful Milk became, every cent will go back into the label. Mm -hmm. Like it is its own self-sustaining business. That's the hope. That's the way we've built it. Like, you know, we'd pay a label manager or pay someone for their time but there's no way Courtney and I are ever going to be sitting back counting the dollars going oh that milk thing we like we killed it look how much we made you know it would just be going straight back into releasing more music and employing more people to help release that music at, at the highest standard yeah I think every single label owner who's listening to this is just nodding at home like mm-hmm, yeah yeah yeah, I've never met an indie label owner who was like, wow, man, I really got rich off that, <laughs> that endeavor. <laughs> was Geffen indie, though? 
I don't know. I don't. That's the big that's question. That's a good question. I'm not sure. He sold it to a major. Yeah. I mean, a lot of indies did sell and make money. And people, mm. you know, Bruce Pavitt, who started Sub Pop. Yeah. He sold and, you know, went and did other stuff with the his life. The golden era when you could still sell an independent label and yeah. someone would buy it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not anymore. Interesting times. was Strong Woman by Jen Clore. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. Follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW and subscribe to our newsletter to find out what's coming up next. You're listening to The Future of What. I'm talking to Jen Clore. 
Anyway, I want to talk about I Manage My Music because I think that that is fascinating and mm. I feel like it could be the subtitle of this show. Sure. I feel like this is exactly what I'm always trying to do is help artists understand mm. what this business is about, how they should be approaching it as a business yeah. and how to deal with it. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, the whole reason I started the workshops was because I couldn't work out how anyone was releasing music and not going into debt. Mm particularly in Australia, where we have this massive country, so expensive to travel around, you have to fly, and such a small population, like 25 million, not even the population of wider Tokyo. Yeah. So, you know, having a career there and making money from it is rare. Right. And so I thought, but that shouldn't be the, you know, like if that's the only criteria, then we would have no hardly any bands and most of them would be terrible. Like the ones that we did have left would just be terrible. So I started to ask other artists to come in and just talk honestly about their experience. And what I discovered was that nearly everyone was in debt. Mm-hmm. Most of us didn't talk about it because it's embarrassing and you feel like a failure. You've already rebelled against society and your family by being an artist and now you're the loser that's in debt. Often we were in debt to our friends and family and loved ones. There's a lot of shame. And, you know, I think people come along to the workshops going, I'm going to learn how to release my next record and be really successful. And what they walk away with is, I think, first of all, hearing someone talk about all of their dirty secrets Mm -hmm. and realising that it's okay to feel all of the stuff like envy and jealousy, like I talk about all, like it's it's not what you'd think. You know, I basically give permission to everyone there to just be human, mm. to have all the feelings of what it feels like to fail and go into debt and be envious of other people and just I talk about it really openly. So it kind of frees people up. But I think also just a greater acceptance, like rather than going, I need to be here for my life to be worthwhile, is to just go, be where you are and make the most of where you are. Because if you're constantly looking down over there for someone to make you famous or some magical manager to come in on a white horse and sweep you off your feet so you never have to work again and they'll do everything for you or the idea that I'll upload my genius music onto SoundCloud and then the people will discover me. Like I just tell them point blank, no one cares. Mm. No one is out there looking to discover you. What you need to do is create your best work and then get a plan together (laughs) So then the other part of the workshop is like talking about all of the stuff that and all of the tools are available to release your own music. And this is the thing, right? If it's really good, you and I know this, people listening know this, it will be heard. Right. It will be heard. Right. Great music does not go unheard. Exactly. Exceptional art might sometimes not have the same amount of you know, there's often work where you go, oh, that, I can't believe that wasn't more successful, but you definitely knew about it, right? And I think it's just like 
if you release your best work with the time and resources available to you and you play your best shows and playing really good live shows is really important because that's where you build an audience. Because if you or I go in to see a band and they blow us apart, we leave and we tell lots of people. Word of mouth is still the thing. Like we watch something on TV, you know. Oh, my God, have you seen that new series? Like I'm not sitting reading reviews online to see right. what people think of it anymore. I couldn't care what reviewers think. Right. But if you come to me and go, Jen, you've got to go and see this band tonight in Portland. They are just ripping it apart. Just put out their first EP. Everyone's like, I'm there. Right. And so just reminding them that you have the power. It's absolutely in your hands, but you have to create your best work. You can't just like cruise around being average. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then all of that other stuff is there when you need it. And people will come in and help you and work with you if you're... I mean, I think a great example of a band in Australia at the moment in Melbourne who's really kind of did very indie release was Cable Ties. It's a three-piece punk rock outfit led by Jenny McKechnie. And, yeah, they just released really great music. And I remember I was, like, driving along in my car listening to Triple R... And I just heard their first single. And, like, you know that thing, like, you hear a lot of stuff on the radio. You're like, oh, yeah. And I just, like, pulled over and went, what <laughs> is this? This is sick. And waited for the back announce. Right. And then I was, like, on my phone going. And I never do that. I was, like, cable ties. Who are these cable ties? <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, all of a sudden I needed to know all about cable ties. And they're one of the few bands that I went and approached, like, uh -huh. had meetings with. They ended up going with Poison City, which I think was a very good – actually, I meant to mention Poison City before, who were very good friends. And I think releasing some of the best rock in Australia at the moment. But, yeah, they ended up going with Poison City, which I think was actually a really good match. And But, yeah, I think the problem that artists get into is, like, worrying about how things will be received or how is it going to go when. And it's like, nah, if you put all of your energy into the creation and the live show and what you're about and the quality of the lyrics and how you want it to sound and the people that you bring into your creative circle, the engineers, whatever, you go out into your community, you support your community, you see loads of bands all the time, you educate yourself about the local scene, educate yourself about music, then all of that other stuff will come. Mm -hmm. But I think too often people put the cart before the horse and they're trying to like line up all of this bullshit. I think the thing that I've realised is like people in the music industry, which is also a stupid term for basically small businesses trying to make a buck, and just managing to get by but I think like those people only come down and start watching you when you're already playing to a few people you know where where people are already starting there's a buzz you know but you've got to create that buzz exactly I love it I think that your workshop series should be called I manage my expectations it totally is that is it's, <laughs> I'm going to change it I'm going to change it to I manage my expect your expectations. Yeah. I manage your expectations <laughs> over a day. But the great thing is like I, I take them on this arc. So they sort of like start and I'm just like just sort of like really sad sort of stories and talk about how hard it is and all the pain and the failure and my own personal pain and failure and then I slowly build them up so that by the end of the day – I'm like, you've got the power. Stop giving it away. Stop giving it away. 
you can do it all. And they're like, how do I get on? I'm like, make your own label. None of the labels want you on it. They're all too busy going into debt trying to put out music. Right. Like, right. do your own label. You're going to learn so much about it. But there's this thing with artists where they are constantly trying to hand over the responsibility and it's like, it doesn't work like that. And I've never understood that. And I, I mean, I'm so glad to have you say this. This is going to be the episode where I'm just like, if you want to listen to an episode of The Future of What, go listen to the one with Jen Clore because she says everything that I've been saying for four years yeah. in one condensed area. Because honest to God, that's exactly what this is all about. It's like artists have to manage their expectations. They have to have an understanding of what success really looks like mm. and how it's different for everybody. Mm. And they have to not be waiting for that thing. It's like, I feel like they have, yeah. they're all future tripping about something's going to happen. And then after that, everything's going to change. And it's so out of, it's, they always put it out of their own hands. Yeah. They always make it, somebody's going to open a door for me. And there's a gatekeeper somewhere who's going to come along and fix this. Like when I get signed to a label, this is going to happen. Or when I get played on this radio station, this is going to happen. I mean, and I saw it in my own band. I played in bands in the 90s in New York City. Yeah. And we all believed the same thing, which is totally. if I get that Saturday night gig at Mercury Lounge, you know, then there's going to be an A&R person in the audience and we're, that's it. We're just going to be like, that's all we wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So we fought each other for those Saturday night gigs at Mercury Lounge. And now having done this for 12 years, run a label for 12 years, I'm like, none of that is the thing. What I'm looking for is exactly what you said, mm -hmm. a band who's just doesn't give a crap and mm -hmm. is out there making the best music they can mm -hmm. and making it on their own and doing their own thing. Mm. And they're out on a tour with, you know, their friends band and they're doing this and they're doing that. And they released the CP and they started their own label because nobody else was going to do mm. it. And they're just on the train, you know? Totally. And also, you know, you work in the music industry, so maybe learn something about exactly. it. Exactly. You know, like, you wouldn't have someone working on the stock exchange who knew nothing about the stock market. Of course, at this moment, <laughs> yeah. America is not in a good position to say that to anybody because we have somebody <laughs> running our country who knows nothing about government or laws or and anything. there's a great example of what happens when you don't know what you're doing. But it's, it's really worthwhile because I think there's been for a long time like this, like, oh, it's not cool to know about the music business and like you're just selling out that's not punk rock i'm like the most punk rock thing you can do is learn about the music industry absolutely because then you have choices about how you're going to do it and the thing that i've discovered is like if you do things really differently to everyone else and it works everyone's all of a sudden interested in you and i think that was the thing with milk as well was like we didn't do it like everyone else did and it wasn't because we're like oh, we want to be really interesting and different over here in the corner. But it was like we have limitations, limitations of time and resources and money. And so basically the way we built that label was that we couldn't go into debt, we didn't accept money from outside parties, that we were fully self-sustaining through our own contributions and that if we didn't have the money, we had to go and make it. Mm -hmm. So we did possible campaigns, we did Christmas shows, we, you know, did all of that kind of fundraising stuff. So I basically took what I had learnt about being a successful, self-sustainable, independent musician and applied it to the label. And it worked. That was the cool thing is like I'm running these workshops, I'm telling people one thing and then doing it with the label and then being able to report back and go, 
and it's working over here. I was able to develop a pretty simple philosophy and I think Milk Records is a living example that you can run a business without going into debt and without needing to go and ask someone else to loan you money. And the whole reason I wanted to create that was because I was going through that process with my own music career and I made very firm boundaries that there was no more debting, that if I wanted to make a record for $20,000 and I only had 10, I had to go and find the other 10, that I couldn't take out any loans, blah, blah, blah. So I was doing that with my own music career, wanted to apply that model to Milk because I believe that when you do that, there's lots of positives. One is self-esteem and artists generally are coming from a place of shame, not being enough, being the loser in the family, being the black sheep, going against society. So, yeah, we didn't go into debt. The other thing is you know that you did it yourself. Mm -hmm. So there's no weird other indebted feeling of like, oh, but it was Sony. You know, it's like, nah, we did it. Mm -hmm. This is because people were attracted to what we were doing. We weren't loudly promoting it or spending loads of money going, look at this. It was just like, if you're attracted to this. And it's always the way, right? It was that thing you were saying about the band. The band that everyone's hot for is a band that doesn't give a mm-hmm. you know. And it's not that Milk didn't give a but it was like, hey, this is what we're doing over here and if you like it and you like the music, you're very welcome. And that's it. You exactly. Know? End of story. So not going into debt, self-esteem, knowing that you did it yourself and that's sort of the main philosophy was like making something that was truly our own and our music communities, you know, we own it. I start missing you days before you leave I guess it's a kind of sensory memory Deep below the conscious mind you I can be on my own I'm an only child I like my company Part around make another part T for two is when you come home We sit and eat breakfast eggs with soldier toes
That was Sensory Memory by Jen Clore. You're listening to The Future of What? After the show, take a moment to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps people find the show, and we love hearing from you. When Kill Rockstars was looking for someone to take over our fulfillment operation, Merch Table stepped up to do the heavy lifting, moving our entire stock to their warehouse and helping us create merch our fans love. With Merch Table's support, we've been able to focus on the music and artists that matter to us. KRS loves Merch Table. See what they can do for your business at merchtable.com. You're listening to The Future of What. I'm talking to Jen Clower. I love what you're saying about self-esteem because I think, you know, I say on the show all the time that artists have to understand their own business. Mm. I think especially women in music have mm. to understand their own business. Mm. I don't think we can have an attitude of like, oh, someone else will take care of it. And I especially, I fear for artists when they put themselves in that position, right? Because the thing is, it's like, okay, if you're such an artist that you can't be bothered with the seamy gross business side, that's fine. You need to understand it though, because guess what? If you start making money, people are going to come out of the woodwork to help take that money away from you. Mm -hmm. And if you don't even know where your money's coming from, Mm -hmm. if you don't have a clear picture Mm -hmm. of how much money you should have in your bank account at the end of the day, whose fault is that? I mean, you have to be on top of that stuff. It's just not acceptable. It's so true. And the great thing about being on top of that stuff is it gives you so much peace of mind. Mm -hmm. That's the thing I've discovered is having clarity around business. It just takes all of the stress out of it. Like who wants to be running a business and freaking out all the time about money? Like, you know, one of the big things that we do during the I Manage My Music workshop day is like planning for your next project. And we talk about going for grants. We have, like, grants in Australia. We're so lucky you can go for grants and win grants to make records, particularly in Victoria, which is our state. But, yeah, I mean, like, just do a little bit of a budget. You know, work out what it's going to cost you. You know, what am I doing? How am I going to do it? Which includes how much money am I going to need? And what are the next steps? They're really simple questions. But if you ask those questions before you embark on any musical project, whether that's a tour or putting out a record or whatever, you just iron out all of that stuff. Like this is the thing about indie artists is like they're so gung-ho, they're beautiful, they go out, they do something, they haven't thought about it and then things go wrong or there's hidden costs like I didn't know you had to get it mastered or you know, like just <laughs> stuff that you don't know because you're doing it for the first time. Right. But if you actually take the time to sit down, plan it out and then sit with someone and talk them through the whole process. Right. If that person is someone you trust who's hopefully in the music world, they can go, oh, what about this? Or you hadn't thought that through or just point out a few holes. If you can just do that simple thing for a couple of hours, Mm -hmm. you can save yourself so much heartache. And I think the reason why artists burn out all the time, you hear that in independent music, oh, I'm just burnt out, is because they don't spend that time planning. Mm -hmm. You know, because who wants to plan? Well, it sounds very unsexy, and that's the thing about yeah. rock and roll, right? Is that it's, it's sexy, it's fun, it's wild. And I have a friend named Sierra Hager, who's a publicist, who really put it best. She said the reason that people have so much fun, like feel so positive about music, is that it's really f-ing fun to make music, mm. like with your band. Mm. Like there's nothing funner, right, than to mm-hmm. get into a studio and mm-hmm. play. Mm-hmm. And so that like rush of endorphins, it, like 
sometimes just clouds your judgment <laughs> completely because you're like, this totally. is so fun. I don't want to bring myself down with something boring like a budget. <laughs> well, exactly, you know, exactly. But it is that thing where you go, if you want to keep having fun for a long time, then look at the budget because well, that's yeah. where, you know, I started the workshops because I went into debt. And I was like, on my second album, I was like, if I keep going along this path, I'm not going to have a career in music. I want to, but I can't see how it's going to work. So I, I came off the road, let go of my band, started the workshops, started the label, took some time out. And when I went back on the road with a new band, new album, I was in a much more realistic frame of mind. And I knew what I was doing. And it meant that after that record, and, you know, I've just put out another record last year, my fourth album, because of all of that work, all of this other stuff was able to happen. So for the first time in my life at the age of 44, I'm playing shows in the UK, Europe and America, selling them out, hmm. playing like wicked festival slots that just local artists would kill themselves to be playing. <laughs> and I know how lucky I am. Right. I'm not 25. Yeah. I'm 44 and I'm a woman <laughs> playing indie rock selling out 300, 400 capacity rooms around the Western world at the moment. And, yeah, to some extent that is absolutely due to the work that I've done at Milk. Yes, Courtney Barnett is my partner and people are interested and curious, but essentially it's because I took care of business. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I knew what I was doing and I had a sustainable music practice so that when this record went out into the world and people responded, they're coming along and they're getting a great show. Right. You know, they're seeing, I think, the best show that I can give them. And it doesn't matter who your girlfriend is if you're playing a terrible show. Well, you I know, was, no yeah. one's going to come back and see you. I was going to say, Jenna, you also are very talented and yeah. you're, you're a very good artist. You know, that's you said that yourself a little while ago. If, you, if you're not talented, this none of this matters, right? You have to have the chops. And I think, you know, that's one thing in America where, you know, the right-wingers in America say that we've done a bad job because in the last 25 years we give every kid a prize. Uh-huh. And there's a little bit of truth to that, I find, uh, in the music industry where, you know, bands come along and, and they want a cookie for just having made these, you know, five songs or ten songs or whatever they've made. And unfortunately, I've been in the industry for so long that I'm like, yeah, it's a perfectly fine song, but it's not great. It's yeah. not great. You have yeah. to try harder. You don't just get a cookie. You don't get to just be famous because you wrote a few songs. It's just life, isn't it? Yeah. Really? And, I mean, that's the other thing that I sort of say at the workshop is like, you might write your best songs. You might do everything right and no one cares. It's true. And it doesn't work out. And I said, you know what? That's just life. Yeah. You're not the only one that that has happened to. It is really disappointing. And I guess you need to consider whether you want to keep doing it. And another thing that I say is like, if you're playing shows and your friends stop coming, mm. there is something you are doing wrong. Mm -hmm. Don't blame them. Don't get a resentment. Have a look at your live show. Have a look at what you're creating. Because I'm 15 years deep into a career and my friends still come to my shows, you know? <laughs> right. And that's really important. Yeah. Because they're not looking at you as like, oh, it's Jen. I guess I better go to her show. They're like, oh, yeah, Jen's a friend, but I really love her music. You know, like they need to be engaging with you always as an artist. Right. And I think that, you know, it does start with your friends. They're all like, oh, I need mm -hmm. to get a support opening for the National. And you're like, 
No, you need to have friends telling their friends so they bring their friends and on and on and on it goes. Yeah. If that chemistry isn't working in your immediate community, there's something missing and look at it. Get honest. Exactly. Yeah. I sound like a terrible X Factor judge or something. No, I love it. This is like my favorite thing. This is like my wet dream of an interview. But also it's because I, (laughs) I want people to like be successful. Like it's not because I'm like, you know like i want people to get better and be their best you know like it's i want people to succeed you know it's because it's really fulfilling when people do succeed at their art and doing good art you know and if fulfilling for all of us because it's exciting and it makes a more vibrant music scene you know it's it's a bummer when i mean exactly as you say i've had i've had that experience of having friends in the music scene where you go to you know two or three shows and then they're like hey we're playing next thursday and you're like oh i've got something else going on (laughs) You know, you're like, like I did my obligation, you know, to see you a few times. And then after that, it's like, you know, that's that's true. And I think that's a real litmus test as well with the bands on the label is like, I want to keep going and seeing them all Mm -hmm. live. Absolutely. Like there's not a band on that label where I go, oh God, they've got their EP launched tonight. I'm excited. Yeah. You know, I can't wait to get down there and see other people having the same chemical reaction I have when I hear them play. That's so true. I mean, I feel exactly the same mm. way. We always go to see our bands when they are putting out their, their record release show or if they're in town. for, And it's just always such a thrill because we love their music. You yeah. know, that's why we're doing this. We're not doing this because we're like, oh, okay, you're the best of like the 10 crappy things that I got or the mediocre things, you know? We're actually, we love these bands. Well, that's the beauty of it as well is like the thing that I learned through this label, I think the greatest gift that it gave me I hope Oprah's listening. This is a bit of an Oprah moment. But one of the greatest (laughs) gifts that it it gave me was, you know, as an artist, it can be all about you. It's a very self-obsessive kind of world. Like, I've got to get, how do I look in my photo? And is that clip cool enough? And what am I saying in this song? And what will people think of it? And is my life, like, it's all about you. Mm -hmm. And the great thing about the label is like, It's given me this whole world where I'm not thinking about myself. Mm -hmm. I'm not thinking about my own success. And I'm totally invested in someone else having a great trip. And I want all of these artists to do really well. Mm -hmm. And that is a great antidote to all of the envy and jealousy and bitchiness that goes on in music. Like, you know, oh, yeah, it's okay if you're good, but don't get too good. Don't get too successful. Don't get too big for your boots that happens a lot in australia you know like everyone all of a sudden doesn't like you if you get too successful of course you know that backlash and you're like nah i'm not about that at all like i want all the bands on our label to be more successful than me Mm -hmm. you know like please rule go out there take over the world with your incredible music nothing would make me happier and the interesting thing is like as you let go of needing to be successful or how's my career looking or you're not thinking about yourself all the time things go much better yeah it's amazing how that you works just take that bull pressure off of like it's gotta go like this it's like no it doesn't
That was Shoegazers by Jen Clower. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. Follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW and subscribe to our newsletter to find out what's coming up next. You're listening to The Future of What? I'm talking to Jen Clower. Well, and that's, you know, the funny thing about music is it's exactly like you're saying. When people are really great, when there's a really great band, they are super great in a completely different way than any other band, and there's as much room for them as necessary. I feel like with bands, bands always see it as there's a finite pie, and I'm, I want my little slice. And if I get a little slice, I can't let you have any of it because that's mine and it's this finite pie. But I'm like, think of all the bands that I love in my head. None of them sound like each other, and there's room for thousands and thousands and thousands more. Because nobody's, you know, it would be a finite pie if you were saying we're all going to sound like Pearl Jam. And okay, well, you sound enough like Pearl Jam that will, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, if everyone was trying to do the same thing, we, but you're not, it's mm. art. Exactly. <laughs> doing the same thing. It's so true. And, you know, there is room for everyone. Yeah. You know, there absolutely is. And it should be like that. And everything that I kind of do in that space, you know, in the, in the world of music these days is really to say that. You know, like if I put anything up on Instagram celebrating a moment, it's to say to all of my sisters in Australia who might be Indigenous, over the age of 40, over the age of 50, over the age of 60, a woman of colour, non-binary, any of those people that feel like they don't fit into what the world says, you know, or they've been told the world says is sexy or acceptable or interesting. I'm just going, that's bullshit. Like, there is room for you. You know, I'm over here touring for the first time, you know, in these countries, four albums, 15 years into a career, about to turn 45. And, like, let's change that bullshit narrative that just files people off into some kind of, I think Tina Arena says it, is like, you can stand down now. <laughs> You've had your time. I'm like... What a load of rubbish. Like, I love listening to women in music who are 60 and 70, you know, and 80, because they're so much wiser. Of course. You know, they're going to offer me a lot more than a 20-something woman. And that's not to say there isn't room for heartbreak albums and self-discovery albums. Right. Look at my back catalogue. <laughs> but I'm going to get the juice from a woman who's down the path and can tell me some about life you know what I mean yeah so just making these decisions that you know there's a certain amount of time that you're allowed to be making music whilst it's still sexy rubbish absolute rubbish and I think it's like really time you know there's a lot going on within the space of music at the moment in Australia big stuff has been going down around festivals right mm -hmm. I don't know if you've seen any of it but there's this really great Instagram account called lineups without males yes and yeah. basically mm -hmm. they have the poster with just the women or bands that have women members in them like the poster that the festivals put out and then the next will be the full lineup so two images and recently there was one that went out for byron bay blues festival which calls itself australia's premier music festival and they've been running for 30 years. This was their 30-year lineup. And I saw this poster, Lineups Without Males, put up. It had one woman mm. in the first announce. Granted, they do a bunch of announces. But the first announce says, these are the artists that we value enough to pull in the first ticket buyers. 
So there was one woman and not a single woman of colour. You know, women of colour basically built blues and roots. Yeah. And then they showed the post to the next image, which is like all of these men. And all of a sudden, you know, myself, another friend, Laura Jean, Camp Cope, a really great hip-hop artist called Miss Blanks, Stella Donnelly, a young, really interesting songwriter from Western Australia, all just started to talk about it online. And then the festival director, Peter Noble, really hung himself. He came out onto Facebook, basically told a granddaughter of a Holocaust survivor that she was a Nazi. What was the words he said? You're either an unemployed or underemployed privileged white woman who's so lonely and depressed that you're trying to work out what your reason for breathing is, right? This is, it's on my Instagram. Oh my God. This went out everywhere. Then it hit the mainstream media. So it's in the Australian. in the, And it just showed me that, I guess for me, it was that thing of like, whatever, that's his karma. That's what you said online, buddy. We were just making a point that you can't have one woman in 2018 in the first announcement mm-hmm. and not expect people to turn around and say something. Exactly. And if you can't accept that criticism and at least concede, then whatever's happening for you right now in your reality is happening. But I think the really exciting thing is that I'm seeing that, you know, I've turned this into women in music, but that things are slowly starting to change. Women are doing the heavy lifting. Not a single man on that lineup turned around and said anything. Mm. Not a single man in the Australian music industry posted or talked about it or said anything. Not a single man. Once again, it was the same five women and non-binary and trans women doing the heavy lifting. Wow. But at least we're doing it. And it works. Yeah. Because every other festival in Australia right now are quaking in their boots because they don't want the same thing to happen to them. And that's how things change. Exactly. And that's had repercussions all over the world because there's been a big conversation. I just read a big article about asking for 50% parity at major festivals and certain festivals that are talking about how they can get there in five years, but they can't get there now. But of course, they talk to a lot of American festivals and American festivals are just like, oh, well, that's impossible. You know, we would never commit because they wanted a written commitment. And I can't remember, there's an initiative and I can't remember what it's called. But there's also the same with conferences, music conferences. And that was started in Europe. Mm. And I also can't remember what that's called. I'm having one of those old senior moments, apparently. But Have you all the time. <laughs> But your conference is supposed to have 50% gender parity and people of color, queer voices. Mm. And the conference that we did for the American Association of Independent Music, the Indie Trade Association in in the U.S., Mm. we achieved that in June of this year. And so that was... Especially in music business. I mean, In New York City, it's like, duh, of course. It wasn't hard. I mean, that's the thing is it wasn't hard. And so really it's a question of will at this point, you know, people deciding. I mean, it would be great to see music festivals reach 50% in five years. But I think like women are standing over going, it has to be 50-50. But you can't have one woman on a, you know... And I'm sure you heard you heard that about the Grammys, right? It was the exact same backlash. One woman out of eleven 
nominees for best album or something and then only and she's the only one who didn't play i mean it was a disaster pr disaster so and it's great it's great seeing them having to catch up yeah and grow up yeah <laughs> i know i could talk to you all day i Me feel too. like i feel like i should let you go though. i've got to take mia out yeah, you to the airport right stay here you can see all right well, well i I'm love to you talk go. about music yeah it's the best isn't it yes every aspect of I it is, it's an it's an amazing world like it is what a great life yeah. we get to live i know we're super lucky all right jen clore it's been such a delight thanks for being with me on the future of thanks, what Portia. And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard Jen Cloer, and of course, our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by the Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. For more info on our shows, check out our website at killrockstars.com slash the future of what, and sign up for our newsletter. Our program was engineered by Brent Asbury at Beta Petrol and is produced by Will Watts and Anna McLean. I'm Portia Sabin, president of Kill Rockstars. See you next week.